The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Well, at least you've revived, thank goodness. I really don't know how I would have managed alone. Tones of the Cybertronic Spree fade away into hyperspace. We welcome you to In Trouble Again, the podcast where we look at every episode of the 1980s Star Wars animated oddity, Droids, The Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO. And today our episode is Kobe and the Star Hunters. I am your host, William Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt Shergi. How you doing, Matt? Oh, good. You know, this episode is the last episode of this second arc uh, on this series about um, the people Tom of Tommy's all, all that business. Um, they don't officially name the arcs, which I think is interesting. You know, some of these, some cartoons you might see, you know, chapter one or whatever in this one. It's Or if you're an, if you're an avatar, uh, book one. Oh, yeah, they did that, didn't they? I keep on... Well, for, yeah, I tried... for per season, yeah. <laughs> I tried watching Avatar, and that first episode was like a lot of people talking to penguins, and it just sort of lost me. You, you need to get past the first episode, but overall, that's a very rewarding series. And they did like a second one, didn't they? Well, they, they did, yeah, they did a sequel series, Avatar The Legend of Korra, which takes place, I think, I think 80 years after? It's a significant time jump, and only a handful of, of characters survive that time jump. Right, um... But yeah, Kobe and the Star Hunters, uh, Episode 9 of Star Wars Droids. This is, uh, according to friend of the show, um, Nathan P. Butler, uh, is the only episode of Star Wars Droids never released on home video. Really? Yeah. Um, well, part of the reason was back um, in the 80s, you getting TV shows on uh, home video at that time, which was videotape, uh, VHS, was pretty rare. True. You might see an episode one or two on a tape. Um, anime, it was that same way, right? You might see, that was more in the 90s where that was on sale, but like that was like one episode per tape, two episodes per tape, and then maybe something like a Star Trek you would see released, but you would not see a season box set or any kind of respect for continuity. Um, I, uh, I probably have this wrong, but I think more episodes of Droids were released in the UK than in the US, and often as free, like, uh, pack-ins if you mailed in coupons from cereal boxes. Huh. I could see that. Um, and that, that would explain... Because actually, those um, those Star Wars droids books based on the episodes, weren't they from a UK publisher, now that I think about it? I think they were from a UK publisher, and they were only uh, from the first story arc of episodes with... Um, oh, God. All, the, all those... I can't remember <laughs> the names anymore, but yeah, those characters. Uh, with the White Witch and all that. Um, yeah, and we did see there was of home video releases. There was very weirdly, like right after Revenge of the Sith, a DVD release of Star Wars droids and Star Wars Ewoks, but it was not the complete series. It was episodes of the series kind of cut into feature film length presentations, like what they did with the uh, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles on DVD. It, it still it still continues to amaze me that this isn't out on a fancy-ish DVD. I mean, if if Warner Archives can put out a prestige DVD set of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids, um, I don't understand why Disney can't put out a print-on-demand version of Droids on DVD. I bet it'll show up on the Disney Plus streaming service. Well, hypothetically, but they can't even confirm that it's going to have all of the core Disney content yet, so I, I'm, I remain skeptical. They've been 
dancing around what's going to be on that service, and I'll be fascinated to see what they have because potentially it could be worth it. You know, I, I like the old Disney cartoons, and uh, especially now that Disney has Fox, that's a lot of things on there. But some of that also may end up on Hulu as well, since Fox had a majority share in Hulu. But this is not the Disney shareholder show. This is uh, we're talking about in trouble again. Star Wars droids. So, and this one, it really is a one-off, which we have not seen in this series so well, far. It's very much a transitional episode because, like, aside from the characters, nothing in this episode connects to anything in the previous uh, the previous arc. And that's right. And uh, one point was cool in the credits. One of the co-writers of this, you have Peter Salter, who's written the show to date. But the other co-writer is Joe Johnston, who would, uh, he did the character design of Boba Fett. He later did, uh, directed such movies as The Rocketeer and Captain America, The First Avenger. Yeah, he did production design for uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. Uh, the Ewok movie, Caravan of Courage. Also, he wrote a Star Wars book. He wrote an Ewok book, The Adventures of Tebow, A Tale of Magic and Suspense. Uh, was that a tie-in to that cartoon? Or the uh, I don't think so. I think it's... Uh, actually, let me check the uh, publication date. Uh, yeah, it came out in 84, so it predates uh, the Ewok animated series. In fact, it's, it's uh, labeled as merchandise for Return of the Jedi. It's got the Return of the Jedi logo on the cover. And it's actually a neat cover because it captures the essence of the Ewoks, but it also looks like an old-fashioned storybook cover. There's a lot of cross-hatching. There's some interesting use of uh, interesting use of big block colors. It's funny you mentioned covers. I got into a discussion in Twitter today about the old um, Star Wars tabletop RPG. Oh, uh, really? And games. And in the the first edition had a way more. Um, what do you call them? Campaign books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, uh, campaign books is a good catch-all term for them. Uh, right. Um, for that, I didn't realize. And for the cover art, it was either stills from the original trilogy or a lot of Ralph McQuarrie art was used. And some original art for the covers. And it was quite interesting to see kind of the differences and back when Star Wars could be a bit loosey-goosey before the current uh, Disney era. <laughs> I'm gonna have to, I might have to seek out that discussion and weigh in on it. Yeah, uh, it's... Um, yeah, I'll have to send you a link. But yeah, so this... As we remember at the end of last episode, there was Prince Kobe. Yeah, he was the son of uh, of Lord Toda, one of uh, Lord Toda's two two children, and uh, the and he he really didn't have much to do beyond sort of in, in his first appearance in, in Revenge of Kaibo Ren, other than pet his cat, uh, which we find out is not a cat in this episode, uh, which you know got uh, which spilled some cake on uh, on C three PO, but in this one. So, it was mentioned in the previous. Uh, it was mentioned in the previous episode that there's like there's an academy uh, that Jan uh, Tosh wants to go to, uh, and that that comes back here that both uh, Jan Tosh and Kobe are going to be sent to the space academy for their educations. Now we don't learn what the space academy is. I guess presumably it's the academy that Luke maybe talked about going to in, in episode four, but it's it's never it's never defined. Although. It's never defined, and yet we get more information about it than the story needs, particularly that Kobe has already been accepted, but Jan Tosh hasn't. Because he's older, he had to submit a special senior application. And I, I was kind of surprised they draft people so young into the Academy. On the other hand... Well, we don't know what the Academy is. Is It it, like, it wouldn't be the Imperials. I, mean, that's I would what, hope not. In, in other expanded universe things, that's what they referred to the Academy as. Um but yeah, they, they don't go into it, and like that's one thing sort of strange. If you're having a storyline where, oh, someone's been accepted into school, wouldn't you say what the school is? Well, I mean, I guess if they had just said, you two are going to the Academy, I think that's all we need. That's all we need to justify them getting on a spaceship yeah, and, and right. leaving the planet. Um, I don't, like, just the, the fact that we have to, we, we learn we learn enough about the admissions process that it becomes frustrating what we don't learn about it. Um, but yeah, but, and, and I'm still not entirely sure why Jan wants to go though, since he is an advisor to the crown, unless the crown wants him to be sort of more educated to do the job better. Although at the same time, you'd think he could get a letter of recommendation from the king of a whole planet and that would get him in. 
But anyway, but all but all that's there to do is to justify uh, is to justify uh, Jan uh, and uh, Kobe uh, leaving Tamuzan uh, on on a transport ship, and R two D two and C three PO are going with them, carrying their luggage and and kind of keeping track of them. But uh, we get set up when we first see Toby. We get to learn more of his personality, and he really he really is a brat. Or as his father, Lord Toda, says, he's very strong-willed. Yeah, I thought that was funny. You don't hear that phrase a whole lot, but that's... uh, They even have a a medical condition for that uh, now called oppositional defiant disorder. Or, as I like to think of it, just being a kid. Uh, Yeah, to some... Yeah, right. To some degree, right? Oppositional defiant, doesn't that cancel itself out? Isn't that like saying double reverse? It, it does. It sounds a bit um, formal too for for something you know particularly prescribed to I don't know five year olds. It's <laughs> it's very odd. But he also um, has too much money. It turns out he has a great uncle who left for whatever reason left him all of his money. So Kobe is loaded with credits. We don't get a set number, but he he's rich. Uh, <laughs> and that R two D two, you know, he immediately wants to blow it on like these high end like. Combat droids. Robot, combat droids and R2-D2 you know, takes the credits and keeps the credits inside of him and won't let him spend the money I thought it was a, a, a very funny touch which hey that means R2-D2 still has his credit grabbing arms yes that we saw in nefarious plans or, oh, in the Star- or in devious the plans Star whatever Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, part of him get, still works maybe that's part of R2-D2's grift is he, he steals people's credits and then collects interest on it <laughs> he he, he, he puts him in safekeeping, hoping his master dies. <laughs> he keeps all that money. The sweet, sweet <laughs> yeah. credits, which which That's are animated, dark. which are animated to look like rolls of pennies for some reason. Yeah, I, I thought the the credits could have looked cooler. That that was um, a bit of a letdown. But we get a a setup that R two D two and C three PO are doing uh, or escorting Kobe. Yeah, there's just kind of, you know being being you know helping mind them. Although you think you know Jan might be the only the only escorting that he needs. Although then again, maybe Jan is prepared to be let down. Maybe Jan is ready to when he gets to the gates of the academy be turned away, and then he's going to have to go back with R two D two and C three PO. But they get on they get on a really really well in like well designed transport like it looks like an unused vehicle design from the film i really got to applaud the design on this transport that they take but like any extended journey they have uh they have a, a lay they have an extended layover in the spaceport of zalakash on the planet chuzala zalakash really does sound like a star wars name that's no, it's it, quite good. It does, and it's apparently it's a very rough and tumble spaceport. You know, our C three PO comments about how all manner of illegal activity happens here, including uh, animal smuggling. Yeah, because because like, Kobe he wants to he wants to take advantage of the layover and see the sight, so he sneaks off the transport uh, with his uh, with his pet. And short the short version is there is this there's this another really nice looking ship. Uh, that is owned by a uh, by a, a traveling menagerie or, or you know animal smugglers, and it turns out uh, his his pet uh, Ingi uh, is in fact a rare alien animal. So these uh, these people decide to steal it. So they start tailing Kobe around, and when he's looking at a at a used spaceship for sale, they cut his pet's leash and run off with it. Uh, they take it aboard their own ship, which immediately takes off. Uh, R2-D2, C-3PO, and Kobe are all standing on the gangplank, but all fall off when the uh, ship takes off. <clears throat> and, it can't be an episode of droids without the C-3PO and R2-D2 comically falling down. Oh, yeah. And in fact, so uh, C-3PO, he, it's been a while since he's had a humiliating injury. Well, he gets another humiliating injury because in the fall, his neck gets stretched out because Kobe was trying to hold onto his head. So for uh, several scenes, we have R2-D2's <laughs> Sort of long, springy neck with his head wobbling on top like he's a bobblehead, and it has a and he's speaking in this affected, high pitched voice the whole time because it's affected his vocal modulator. It's really off putting to hear a falsetto C three PO. 
a voice that's already kind of high pitched to begin with. It sounds so weird to be extra high pitched. And yet it sounds like Anthony Daniels it's himself actually doing it. It does not sound pitch shifted. Oh no, it is it is absolutely him yeah. doing it. There's no pitch shifting whatsoever. But Kobe decides he wants to get his pet back, so he tries to steal that that small ship he was looking at earlier. Uh and the uh the 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 alien who runs the shipyard comes up and I believe it's a recycled character design. I believe we saw this same alien in the or the same design of alien in the beginning of this same story arc with the tentacle arms and the extra nostrils. You know, he shows up to raise hell because the kid's gonna steal the ship. Kobe just tosses him a stack of credits and the guy's so happy he just activates the ship for them. Um, there's some bad flying antics as they fly around with the cockpit open. Uh, they're able to scoop up C-3PO and reattach his head and decide they're going to follow the menagerie. Before we continue with the story, though, uh, you know, we, uh, I've, I've really gotten into dissecting the animation on this show, and I've got two observations. One, right. one is droids loves its A-wings. I think we've had an A-wing in virtually every episode. And they reuse that animation a lot, which it's a good piece of animation of the A-Wing kind of uh, coming in close to the foreground and then doing a sharp turn to the background as it lands. Yeah, banking They use that away. over and over again. And so, so I, and I'm thinking it over. I don't think it's just that, that the animators like the, the A-Wing. I think looking at all the various uh, Star Wars fighter designs, the A-Wing is... One of the most iconic designs, but it's also probably the easiest to animate because it's just a little wedge. Yeah, it's not with the X wing. You have the perspective of the four different, well, you know, parts of the X or the the Y wing. Uh, it is less tricky, but that, that's a good point. And you do see the A wing all over the show, like you see. But I, I like the A wing, and I and that's for me growing up playing those X wing games. I like that it's a fast ship, and speed is often what you need to uh, take out enemy units in time in a transport mission. That's why I always preferred it. Uh, the other observation I have, uh, and this goes back to sort of a recycling animation, so at the beginning of the episode, we get a nice establishing shot of the spaceport on Tamuzan, and there's lots of A-wings zipping back and forth. There's a nice pan, and then it zooms in on the docking dome. However, when we come back from a commercial break, there's an establishing shot of the Zala Kesh spaceport. It is the exact same animation. It doesn't surprise me. They they reuse the scene, they reuse the pan, they reuse the zoom, it's the same A-wings. Like, they don't even reverse, they don't even flip it, they don't, like, tint it. It's just this, and, and I, they, I'm sure they didn't expect people to notice it, but I, I went back and verified it, and it's, uh, I mean, it's a good shot. It's a well-animated shot. They're getting their money's worth. But once you know it's there, you can't unknow it. But meanwhile, our heroes uh, are... Going after the, um, the menagerie, the poachers, the menagerie, right? Uh, and following them to a different planet, which, yeah. which I thought was nice. That was cool. They go to a different location, and and we get to see that that hyperspace special effect, which still gives me chills. I love the way it looks in this animation. But yeah, they're they're the the Black Hawk destroyer that they're that they're in. It it has no hyperdrive, so they use magnetic clamps to attach it to the uh, menagerie sh- uh, to the Star Hunters intergalactic menagerie ship. Uh, and it pulls it into hyperspace with them. Um, but then, of course, when they detach, they have a very awful, awful crash on a uh, an unnamed planet in the uh, Dandelo system. But it's a, it's a it's a jungle planet. When they get out of their uh, when they get out of their fire, they are, however, ambushed by the natives, the uh, the Fuzzums, who that has to be a reference to the Yuzums, the co the other species that lived on the forest moon of Endor that got cut from the first draft of the Return of the Jedi script. They even have a similar body type, whereas Yuzums have big noses and big mouths. The Fuzzums look almost exactly the same, except they have beaks instead. Right, and uh, in here, you, you, this whole business with the natives, it reminds me a, a little bit of like the Ewoks and C-3PO and, and stuff of them... Uh, encountering this native tribe and it, it rhymes treated. as Lucas yeah, it, would say. It, yes. It rhymes as Lucas likes to say. Uh, well, one thing I go on. Oh, well, one thing I do like is there is this, this, this like fun exchange. Like, Oh, oh they've, I, it, he, cause you can see 3PO translates. <clears throat> it's like, Oh, 
oh, they're, they, they're going to capture us. They, they're going to sell me, and then they're going to turn R2 into a stew pot. What about, and then Kobe says, well, what about me? Oh, well, that's why they need the stew pot. <laughs> that's like right out of an Abbott and Costello bit, I think. I, I, liked, I like that. Though the idea of cannibal natives is a pretty reductive stereotype, that exchange, I think, works really well in this episode. A missed opportunity to call him R2-D stew. Oh, you. Okay, that's, we, we're going to have to do that. R2-D, he's R2-D stew for the rest of the episode. <laughs> but we come to find out as they're taking capture that the Star Hunters have been to this planet before and have been uh, apparently having some sort of territorial struggle with the Fuzzums and have been taking animals that are important uh, to the Fuzzums. So they make a de- they cut a deal with the Fuzzums that they'll do something to get rid, to free their animals and get rid of the Star Hunters. Um, so, uh, the, so the Star Hunters... They're apparently aided by the Cylons. Did it occur to you how much their their combat droids look like the Cylons? A bit. And they're like half Cylon, I, yeah. half Horde trooper from Shira. Well, and then uh, the Lucasfilm, you know, sued um, whatever channel Battlestar Galactica was on. Oh yeah, because they said it was too close to Star Wars, so maybe they're just sort of getting some revenge. Like, fine, we'll make our people look like something from yours from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> that would be that would be intriguing. Uh, it really would be. But they've got these cages, uh, and uh, you know they're just they're they're milling about. I think that's the one downside of this episode is that the Star Hunters they don't have that much personality. They all have unique character designs, but. Like I, I wish they were built up a bit to be to be a villain closer to the caliber of Kaibo Ren. You know, I don't even think I don't even know their names. I'm not sure their names are ever even like there's a Captain Strewn and Slarm, but I think their names only even come up once uh in this episode. One of the guys has glasses, right? Yeah, which you don't normally see in Star Wars. No, but I mean they just sort of made these sort of stereotypical one dimensional villains because as we mentioned, this is a one off episode but um i don't like if it's all about the academy and stuff like why not actually have a an imperial like captain or something be the bad guy i don't you could do something to tie it in well we're we're gonna get admiral screed at some point though we will get admiral screed but i'm just kidding you know i went more we had uh you know in the past we've had like boba fett we've had um the from gang the from gang we've had you know some more memorable bad guys and, and this is just to have these two-bit baddies in a plot which frankly could have been done on the smurfs is a bit of a letdown yeah and even then like it's not like it's not that we see them do anything all that evil like we know they're smuggling they're smuggling animals we know that they're heavily invested in shankle shankle in shackles and ankle binders but we don't really get to see them do anything nasty we don't see them threaten the animals or abuse the animals not that i want to see too much animal abuse but i want them established as villains because later on they're just so bumbling that they're not a threat, and I, I it it lo- it lowers the stakes of this episode. But they do have a, they do have a devious plan, and part of the plan involves uh, involves uh, distracting them. So R two so C three PO uses his vo- voice modulator to mimic the call of a uh, of a creature called a spotted jugadoo. And that's a very rare animal that they've wanted for years. So the all the Star Hunters get mobilized and leave their ship. And that's what allows Kobe and R2-D Stu to sneak in to free the animals and to get his pet back. It's a nice plan. It's it's. I like how it's, they're doing a diversion. They're not having the robots run in with guns or anything. Although that would be against the laws of robotics, but it is uh, it is generally clever, and you know I like the idea that yeah. that C three PO it does make sense that you know he can use all these forms of communication. That means he has to mimic patterns of speech, which are sounds. It means he can also mimic animal noises. Which even then, now that it occurs to me, he he played his own sound effects reel in Return of the Jedi when he regales the Ewoks with an encapsulated version of the Star Wars saga. Do you think C-3PO has a recording uh, of everything he's ever said that he can play back at will? I don't know. I don't know if his memory is that flawless, but I'm sure he has a bank of sound effects in case those sounds are necessary for communication. Maybe he makes the spotted jugadoo noise to cover his uh, master having embarrassing uh, intestinal distress when he's on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> 
That that is entirely possible, and but the ruse works too well because so this is another neat bit of continuity is that um, Captain Stroon's assistant Slarm, you know, Stroon's like get the stunner, and Slarn uses the same backpack stunner that Ky- the same model that Kaibo Ren used in the previous episode, right? And it even uses the same effect, the same like wavy rings uh that that we've uh we've talked about but it work but it works too well because you know they all get tangled in a net and get stunned especially when a stun bl- a stun blast bounces off of C3PO uh so that that's interesting that his metal coating can do that i kind of wish that would come back in a bigger way later but turns out this call was too good and it attracted a real spotted jugadoo which has the hots for C3PO but back at the uh, back at the cave, so the caves are where the Fuzzums used to live. They've been forced out, so they were turned into cages. So Kobe and R2 find the cage that Igni's in, but there's also a humanoid alien named Grige uh, in there. And we only know he's an alien because he has two fingers and a thumb on each hand. And he, he's a bit kind of off, but I do kind of like that where he points out, you're not an animal, and he's like, well, in some of the outer systems, I am. Like, you know, it's it's a very sort of... We see a lot of humans in Star Wars, but that does make a good point. You know, uh, what is exotic is relative to a creature with three tentacles and eight eyes. A human probably is a terrifying abomination. So I, that's the one bit of evil that the Star Hunters has that works, that they are willing to smuggle humans if they can use a human in their menagerie to terrify aliens in the outer systems. Yeah, it's always good to see more different uh, perspectives on on the the creatures in this show, and it and it allows us to have a character that speaks English. And uh, but you know they R two R two D Stew picks the lock. Uh, they all escape, but then they get cornered by one of the battle droids who tries to take him uh, captive again. Uh, then Jan shows up. Uh, uh, disa- disables the droid and effectively saves everybody. So when the uh, Blackhawk destroyer landed, C-3PO turned on the uh, the distress beacon, even though knowing that the- there weren't that good odds and anyone would hear it. Well, it turns out Jan heard it. I don't know how, because Jan wasn't taking his own ship. He was using a transport. So there's no explanation of how Jan got to this planet. He just did. And he and you know he rescues everybody, reveals that he also has been accepted to the academy, so he's going to go to the academy again. We don't know how; we never see his ship. Um, but Grease reveals that he tried to stop the Star Hunters before. Uh, before well, he was a he was an ecologist studying animals, and the Star Hunters took his ship and the animals he'd collected. And he always wanted to return them to. Their, their home environments, but he doesn't have the money to fund that operation. Because, you know, hey, Starship fuel's not cheap. Coaxium doesn't grow on trees. Uh, until a tie-in novel says it does, anyway. Um, so he he needs money and also a crew. And so Kobe, in a very selfless act, says, oh, well, I've got credits. I'll give them to you to fund the operation, and I'll also travel with you to help you do that. Which, on the one hand, that is kind of cool. I like Kobe sort of going off on his own adventure. However, like, what about his education? Like, his... What about, like... What's he gonna like? I, I I really don't like the idea of the character turning their back on an education. Uh, I that leaves a bad taste in my mouth. How about you? I don't know. I I, I find what he does believable because he's so focused on his finances in the beginning that hey, if he gets an offer to to be in a sort of you know business of sorts or do an investment in someone that could pay off. Well, but it, but it won't pay that. off. They're just they're returning animals to their home ecosystems. They're not getting anything in return. We don't know that they might be doing. No, a- no, we do. Like they don't. That's <laughs> it. That's the whole endeavor. Take all the animals back to the planets they came from. End of story. <laughs> like it's not like maybe, he has grant money waiting said, for hey, him. We can we can shine your space toilets for five credits. <laughs> But, and this is another thing that, that doesn't quite work, is so, so since Jan's going to the Academy, they don't allow droids into the Academy, so he has to leave C-3PO and R2-D2 behind. However, C-3PO and R2-D2 aren't going to stay with Kobe. Like, they're not part of this. They're like, oh, well, we're out of here now. Like, I'm not sure, like, like I know we've got to get him to new masters in the next episode, but... 
like I don't understand why they're not going to stay on the ship with Kobe uh, and Grige. It just it seems to come it it's it does not seem at all motivated. Well, and what's very interesting is we'll talk about this next week, but in the next episode, they they're just there and have a new master. Yeah, and and that's and that's the thing is like I would assume that since they were escorting them to the academy and they know droids aren't welcome there surely they were going to go back to Tamuzan afterwards. I don't know. Maybe, you know, uh, R2-D2, sorry, R2-D2 and C-3PO have a bit of the uh, wanderlust. And, uh, I guess. You know, they get bored and they want new masters. You never know. I, uh, I mean, I mean th- had, had this show lasted for more than a season, maybe one of their masters would have been Jabba the Hutt. Again... <laughs> Or for the first time. Oh, that's true. Yeah, before Jedi. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I like I like the little journey this episode took us on, but I don't like the ending. The ending really lets me down. And 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 um, Jessica Mead's absence is keenly felt. Yes, that they don't have old iron pants. Like, I feel like she should have been. She should have been the one that heard the distress signal. Like. Like, yeah, she should have been the one sense. who came in to save them. Or maybe she and Jan. I mean, you know, maybe that's where it should have been. We know she's leaving the planet after the end of the previous episode. What? Maybe she should be the one transporting them to the Academy. Like, I want, I want Jessica Mead back. She, she didn't get her due on this series. No, it's... Um, I mean, overall, this episode is... It's okay. If someone was to ask me what was a cartoon from the 80s like, I might show them this episode. Well, you know, it's it's funny because there's just enough environmental stuff in this that it feels like an, uh, an episode of a cartoon series that's trying to win an environmental media award in the 90s. <laughs> it does. And, and even something about the, the planet, I don't know what it is, uh, reminded me of Space Quest 2. <laughs> oh, you know, there's another Space Quest connection. Um, the droid dealer that Kobe unsuccessfully tries to buy the battle droids from... He looks like he's wearing. He looks like he stepped right out of a Space Quest game. He's just like a purple alien with a big long snout, but he's wearing what looks like Roger Wilco's uh, uniform, the the red one with the the yellow stripes. Mm. And that yeah, just so makes me what, with Space Quest. Yes, um, and they're still working on that adventure game that was kickstarted by the Space Quest people. Oh, the Space Venture. Yeah, it never came out, but they're still working on it. I hope it does come out. I'd really like to play that. One of the two guys from Andromeda has been having some health issues recently, unfortunately. Was that uh, Kevin... Not Kevin Murphy. Um, Scott Murphy. Scott Murphy. Is that is that it? I'm not sure which one. Mm. Well, but, which, which, uh, whichever one, I hope, I hope they get better. Yeah, uh, one of them did... We'll get back to the droids pretty soon here, but um, they're asking one of the those two guys, uh, what is your least favorite Space Quest game? The one they didn't make? Yeah, which was Space Quest 1 VGA. They had nothing to do with that. That was completely outsourced. And then on the box and in the credits in the game, their name is plastered all over the place. And before it was released, um, they had sent a letter that had like 100 points on it, things you should fix and improve, and they did none of them. Oh, damn. Yeah. I think Actually, it is Scott Murphy uh, you're talking about. You can follow him uh, at slash Vohal. Spelled V O H A U L on Twitter. He's been sharing a lot of neat behind the scenes stuff about his time at Sierra. It's been a really fascinating Twitter feed to follow. Right. And um, lest we forget, at one point there was a Space Quest side scrolling game for PlayStation 2 under development. And at another point, there was going to be a multiplayer online kind of MMO title. What the hell would that have been? I think everyone played as a different Roger Wilco. Oh, like uh, it was it like a parallel universe thing or something? It it didn't get very far, but... Um... Well, you know, think, thinking about that, I would love to see the concept of droids done as a Sierra-style graphic adventure. I'm actually kind of shocked that, like, LucasArts didn't do that. Because, look, like, looking at this, at this episode, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you could do, especially if like you had a master, but you were playing R2-D2 and C-3PO and could switch between them and could send them off in different directions and have them like split up and come together. Each droid is good at certain things. And I also just like use R2 on lock and then he picks a lock or, you know, there, there's such there's such great potential there. The other way you could do a game with this is make it like the Lost Vikings. Oh, where you're you're controlling uh, three characters at once? Yep. The the and droids and their master like puzzles. Um. Yeah. I wonder if they ever ever considered that. You're right. Of all the the things, I feel like they have to. But like, it is shocking that there was an Indiana Jones graphic adventure, but no Star Wars graphic adventure. It must have come up in some meeting at some point, considering how many Star Wars games Lucasfilm made. Oh yeah, and some of them pretty good. I st- I still love uh, Dark Forces and Dark Forces Two Jedi Knight. Those are some of the best first person shooters of the era. I have a soft spot for oh, what was it? I like Knights of the Old Republic. I like that one. Hmm. But I guess overall, uh, how would you rate this episode? Not great, just like straight down the middle. This is okay. <laughs> We've seen a little worse. We've seen a lot better. Um, it it feels like it's spinning its wheels a bit, but it was sort of neat to see more like alien creature designs. I kind of like that. It's true. I kind of I kind of wonder if that's like how the uh, if, is is that how the the fuzzums got in was was uh, Joe 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 Johnston at some point involved in the Yuzum design and wanted to see some version of that brought back so that's why he worked the fuzzums into this story. It's quite possible. Uh, I mean, you know, especially at that time, Lucasfilm was a very uh, tight knit company, and I'm sure they said, "Hey, does anyone want to write a Star Wars droids episode?" And you know, he said Joe Johnston did the book beforehand, but. Since then, I don't know if he's done that so much writing in his movies or anything, but that he got that opportunity was pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it it makes me want to see, like, what else other people who are, like, what would other people involved in Star Wars who weren't known for writing Star Wars, what would they have written? Mm. Yeah, and at, at this time, I don't know, like, like why, hmm. What would a Harlan Ellison Star Wars novel look like? Oh God, I I don't know. Well, I I feel like on principle he would refuse to write one, and yet if you drove a dump truck full of money up to his house, uh, I'm sure he would have written one. I would love to have seen. Well, because he he probably would have gone deep into the pulps uh, and their influence on Star Wars for whatever he would have crafted. Did you see they did a, a comic, uh, sort of right before he died, adapting his script for that um, Star Trek episode? Oh, of uh, the city on the edge of forever. Yeah. No, I did not know that. I've read his and original script, like, but I would love to check yeah, out the that comic. Yeah, is almost like like paintings. Like it's really much better looking than you might expect for a tie-in comic. Yeah, I'd like. To, I would like to check that out. That's pretty cool. What, you know, of course, it also makes me wonder what DC Fontana would have done uh, with Star Wars, given the chance. Is she still alive? Yeah, she is. She still writes. I think she's with the Star Trek novels too. That's right. I think she might be. I feel like she's consulted on every post original series Star Wars, at least, uh, if not outright writing for it. I I bet she's consulting on uh, on uh, Discovery right now, and if not on Discovery, then on that that gestating Jean Luc Picard show. No, that's a good point. I think uh, with DC Fontana, I always think of there is a Star Trek computer, and I realize this is a Star Wars podcast. There was a, a Star Trek uh, computer game that Interplay was going to release that was an adventure game, and it would have had like kind of like Toy Story style like rendered graphics when CG was a pretty new mm-hmm. thing, and they cobbled together enough to um, they had a whole screenplay written out and they cobbled together enough footage for an E3 demo, but they got canceled because it would have been too expensive. Oh, that sucks. But I kind of wish they'd make that into a novel. But I think it was called like Vulcan <sighs> Fury. I. Wait a minute. Was that the one where it was... I think I remember seeing ads for that. Was that the one where it was supposed to be like a lore deep dive into the history of Vulcan, the Vulcans and the Romulans? I think so. And the ads had, you know, like big pictures of what they had Kirk and Spock and McCoy look like. And this is like, this is actual gameplay. 
which by today's standards doesn't look great, but it, it's a good enough likeness, especially at the time. I think, yeah, and I think th- I think they were like they were going to have Leonard Nimoy and the guy who played Sarek, who was still alive at the time, were going to do be doing voices for the game. Yeah, because prior to that, Interplay did two adventure games with more like pixelated graphics: Star Trek uh, 25th Anniversary and Star Trek Judgment Rights. And they had the original crew do all the voiceover, which really was something. But, yeah, that that was pretty damn cool. cool. So yeah, cool maybe we could have droids. Maybe we could have had Anthony Daniels play C three PO in the graphic version, and R two D two could have played himself in the graphic adventure game. Uh, yeah, there's certainly no lack of video games Anthony Daniels voice C-3PO for, which is admirable. You don't... Yeah. Like, did Mark Hamill do the Joker in a lot of Batman games? Probably not. I think just the, the Arkham series. And DCUO. DC... Oh, the DC Online... The DC Online, yeah. MMORPG? Yep. Oh, yeah, okay, I guess so. Because if you're a bad guy, you can pick the Joker to be one of your mentors, and in the early missions, at least, you sort of giving you mission briefings. <laughs> I can't imagine the Joker in an administrative position, but then again, maybe the new movie will prove me wrong. Okay. Kobe and the star hunters. I think we both talked about this show and we think it's sort of so, so it's, it hits a good middle. Um, so now it's time for our next segment, Droid Eye for the Jedi, where we try to figure out who is the secret Jedi master in this episode. Do you have a theory? I do. I think it is Greech. Mm-hmm. Now, now uh, what evidence do you have to back that up? At the end of the episode, he's with Kobe, and um, Greech is explaining he wants to return the animals, and Kobe, you know, is really a, wanted to blow his money on frivolous things. And so Greech is using his Jedi mind tricks to trick Kobe into giving him his money. And to work for him, he's going to secretly enslave Kobe, but that's a, for a separate episode. Oh, so, he, so he's a Sith, you think? He, he is a Sith, yeah. He says he's going to use the credits to return the animals, but instead he's going to uh, contribute it to the Sith cause. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you. I don't think that we have a secret Sith. Uh, I don't think Grieg is a uh, secret Sith master. I think our real Hidden Jedi master is, in fact, Grieg who I think is a light side Jedi. Uh, so he's crazy old hermit. He's got that down. Doesn't use violence. So, you know, he understands that war doesn't make you great. Um, you know, he, he's clearly manipulating things uh, from behind the scenes. He wanted to get captured because he needed to be in that position so that Kobe could show up to be his apprentice. So once they get on that ship, because here, here's the thing. There are, I don't know if you caught this, there are no animals on that ship. They were going, Hmm. yeah, we never see them load animals on. We only see them load restraints and cages, empty cages on the ship. So they clearly need to put animals in them, but they never successfully capture an animal uh, in this adventure other than Kobe's pet. So I think that they're, so if they have no animals to return, they're not going to return animals to the native habitat. They're going to get off world, go to a secret Jedi training ground, and uh, Grieg is going to take Kobe on as his apprentice. And when Kobe eventually emerges as an adult, he will be a Jedi Master, and he will be ready to uh, to help Luke uh, rebuild the Republic and the Jedi Order. Also, he's human, but he just has those like two fingers and a thumb on each hand. But he he's always wearing gloves. He never takes off. I think he lost those hands in a lightsaber fight. I think those were the only cybernetic hands he could afford were ones that were for not not for a humanoid alien. Do you think there's any Jedi that have their fingers converted into mini lightsabers? I hope not, but then again, that sounds more like a Sith thing. I could totally... But hey, you know, we got another movie coming out. Maybe that maybe Phasma takes off a glove and, and has, has lightsaber finger claws. But Phasma was killed in The Last Jedi. Uh, we didn't see a body. Phasma's... I'm pretty confident Phasma's going to so. come back to be tossed... Okay. To, to be to be defeated in a totally unthrilling way again. <laughs> Maybe it turns out that uh, Phasma's uh, boyfriend is Boba Fett. Her, her action figures sell too well. She's going to have to come back. That's always the true measure of success. All right, now it's time for our final segment, Expanded Universe, where we talk about non-movie-related Star Wars media that we've been enjoying. 
That's right. I've been uh, like I've been doing this whole show, kind of dipping into the old video games, and I did uh, Super Return of the Jedi on the Super mm. Nintendo. You ever play that one? Yes, I play. I played all of them, all of the uh, <clears throat> Super Star Wars games, but that was a good one. Yeah, I really like how you could be um, different characters for different levels. Uh, especially you could be Wicket the Ewok if you wanted, or Chewbacca in these kind of uh, Endor levels. And, and that was really fun playing with a small character with a bow and arrow that played a little bit differently. Um, an unfortunate thing is I think the very first, maybe the first or second level in the game, is this dumb vehicle sequence where you're going on tattooing having to avoid rocks. And it's it, maybe now that, you know, playing it now, I haven't played a Super Nintendo game in a long time. Um or, you know, not as much as when I was a teenager, certainly. But, like, I found that really hard for, like, a first level. Yeah, like, isn't, like, the justification, like, you're Luke Skywalker on his way to Jabba's Palace? Right, and you have to hit these ramps to go over these pits, and it's this Mode 7 thing, so everything looks pixelated and smeary. I never thought that uh, Super Nintendo feature ever looked any good in the first place. Um, but, yeah, it it just seems like they wanted to have this mode in there, and they did, and they did it better with the um, vehicle level on Tatooine in the Super Star Wars game. And this Super Star Wars Returns, uh, Return of the Jedi is, is not quite as good in that regards. But I, I like that, you you know, the fight against the Rancor is pretty well done in this one. He is a good <clears throat> pixel likeness. And since this is a late period Super Nintendo game, the animation on the pixel work is just top notch. One thing that, that uh, struck me uh, in in uh, this one is that there's uh, when you're thrown into the Sarlacc pit, you fight the Sarlacc. He's one of the bosses, and in many ways, I prefer the way the Sarlacc appears as a boss in this game to what we got with the Sarlacc in the Star Wars Special Edition. Yeah, where they tried to make him in the Special Edition, he looked a bit like Audrey too, or something. Had well, it has this sort of arbitrary beak that comes out of the hole, yeah. but in in the Super Star Wars, like the the whole mouth, this wormy mouth rises up out of the sand and has these grasping ten, these big meaty grasping tentacles that lash at you. That I mean, admittedly, you'd have to completely change the way the sequ- sequence was filmed in the movie to make that happen. But between the two design revisions this is the one that i think works the best especially in a video game it's better at being a sarlacc in a video game than the special edition sarlacc is at being a sarlacc in a movie um in super return of the jedi they also have a bit more interesting jedi powers for luke which makes sense and i think there's more variety between the characters more variety in the levels um one of the last levels in the game is really hard where you're lando in the millennium falcon trying to fly out of the death star 2 Oh, yeah, I remember that being very tricky. It's a, you know, tight time. You just have to basically memorize the course and not hit the walls, and it's not always clear what you're hitting or what you're not. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a final thing about those games I like is they take the John Williams music and do it with the Super Nintendo sound chip, and it, it works pretty well, I think better than it does, like, on a Nintendo, right? It's can do that synthesized uh, strings and so forth. Yeah, which, which sounds like it... It sounds good. Like I, that's a that's an era of video game music that I truly love. Like where it still sounds artificial and and synthesized, and yet they can do so much with with those tones. I, I absolutely love the way video game music sounded at that era, and the Super Star Wars games have some of the best because they're working with such great scores. Uh, later on, they did a port of this game on the Game Boy that was not very good. <laughs> huh. Was it original Game Boy or Game Boy Advanced? Original Game Boy. Wow. So it was quite compromised and missing some levels, as you can imagine. That's a shame. Well, what about you? What's a piece of Star Wars media you've been checking out? So I decided to do. I decided to re-explore some Star Wars podcasts. So, like since since we have started doing our own Star Wars podcast, I haven't really been listening to any Star Wars podcasts. So over this past week, uh, I decided mm. I would revisit some and get caught up. And so there's three three I want to talk about. Uh, okay. One is kind of is you know I, without a doubt one of the best Star Wars podcasts, and that's Star Wars Minute which started as kind of a wild hair gimmicky idea where they would take the original Star Wars, the host, uh, Alex Robinson and uh, Pete the Retailer, they take 
Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, slice it up into one-minute segments and do one episode where they exclusively discussed that one minute. And in the course of doing that, they kind of realized that Star there's a lot you can talk about about just one minute of film. Uh, and they were all short episodes. I think the longest episode, at least the longest I ever listened to, was maxed out at 20 minutes, and even that was pretty rare. Um, but they'd have interesting guests on to talk about different five-minute sec to join them for five connected sequential minutes. Uh, they had Doug Benson on. I thought he was great. Uh, they had also uh, the uh, games illustrator John Kavalik on. Uh, and, and those, I think, were two, two of my favorite guests they ever had. And once they finished doing Star Wars, they decided, what the hell, we'll keep going. Uh, and so now I think they are currently nearing the end of uh, the last... I'm sorry, not the last... I think they're currently at the end of the... Uh, near the end of The Force Awakens. Uh, oh, so they did the prequels. I didn't realize. I, I listened to them when they got to, I think, Jedi or something, but... Well, originally, I think they were going to... Because originally, they were going to stop after Star Wars, but then they revised that and decided they were going to stop after Return of the Jedi. But then they decided, well, let's let's just keep going. This is our thing. Um, it did inspire a Spaceballs Minute, which is why I never suggested we do a Spaceballs Minute. Somebody beat us to it, although... You know, no one has a monopoly on the format. Um, so, but this is this has been a really fun podcast, and I'm still i I'm still listening to the original trilogy. Uh, I have only gotten to the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. I need to do. Uh, Re- no, I got to the end of Empire Strikes Back. I need to start on Return of the Jedi soon. One thing that was cool, though, is they did do an hour long episode called the "I Am Your Father's Day" special where they discovered, by a coincidence, the minute with the line, I am your father, would, if they kept to a tight schedule, would come out on Father's Day. So they recorded that as a special live episode at a podcast festival and then released it on Father's Day of that year, which is pretty damn cool. Um, So yeah, that have you ever listened to Star Wars a minute? I have, yeah. No, I liked it. I liked that it was short. That's something you... When podcast first came out, uh, it was sort of the the common uh, opinion that they should be no longer than five or ten minutes. So I, I like that it was sort of a return to form from that. And why people thought that was the case with the podcast in the beginning, I have no idea. Um, it, I think it was arbitrary because everyone assumed like it would be like radio and you want it to be short so you can get as many plays as possible. Uh, yeah, I think so. And also the, the more limited bandwidth back then. Um, Oh, actually, no, that's a lie, because that was in 2004, I think, when podcasts started, so internet connections were fast enough. Anywho, um, but I liked it. I listened uh, through Star Wars, Empire, and some of Jedi, but I, I really want to check it out to see what they say on the um, on the prequels, because the prequels have gotten... I mean, I don't love them, but I, I like them more than I used to, and you're starting to see the critical opinion turn around on those. Mm, yeah, like the pre- the prequels is actually something I've been meaning to revisit. Like I don't think I'm because like with e- even when the prequels were new, and and we talked about this when we covered them on sequel cast is that it's I I don't think they're good, but I don't think they're bad. Like they're kind of frustratingly uneven. I find. <laughs> but uh, the other podcast I want to talk about this one, if you want to listen to it, is hard to find because the creators of the podcast. When this podcast ended, they immediately started a new podcast, but kept their old feed and just renamed everything. So, if you want to listen oh, to wow. if you want to listen to it now, look for Blank Check Podcast, but go into the old episodes, and you'll find it. You'll find the original episodes, which was the Phantom Podcast, which was a comical Star Wars podcast where the hosts, uh, the actors slash writers, uh, Griffin Newman and David Sims, and you might know Griffin Newman now um, because he plays Arthur on the new Tick series on Amazon. Um, the premise of the Phantom Podcast is they would do a really granular examination of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, but the conceit of the show is that they reviewed it as if it was the only movie. Like, right? They, like their 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 notion is it's the third movie George Lucas ever directed. Why did he take like it's as if it existed in a vacuum? So they never talk about the other prequels. They never they they. When they talk about Star Wars, they only talk about A New Hope because that was the only other one Lucas had directed up to that point. And so, like, 
it's fascinating the way they talk about it in a vacuum, but they also go off in these great comedic riffs, but also like they sort of pick one aspect of the movie to talk about for the whole episode and go on some fun comedic, uh, fun comedic tears. They really tear into the Nemoidian accents in the, uh, in the early episodes and your mileage might vary on that one. Uh, I've listened to that one as well. And yeah, now that it's blank check, it's kind of re uh, jiggered its format. So it looks at the filmography of a director kind of film by film. Um, yeah, which I think is a, a neat way to keep these guys talking about movies. Currently, they're looking at Tim Burton films, and in fact, that's how I found them because I didn't, f- I did not start listening to this with the intention of listening to the Phantom podcast. I heard that John Hodgman and Paul F. Tompkins had done Tim Burton episodes because I think Paul F. Tompkins had talked about his guest spot on it. So I listened to Mars Attacks with Paul F. Tompkins and uh, Ed Wood, which is one of my absolute favorite movies with John Hodgman. And they mentioned that they did a Star Wars podcast. And like, well, what the hell? I listened to the first episode. Oh, this is good. I better keep listening to this. And that's what inspired me to go back and listen to other Star Wars podcasts for this episode. Um, There's one other Star Wars podcast I want to talk about, and this is the one that's probably going to be the hardest to find because it's no longer on its own website. Uh, It uh, it was an Earwolf podcast. It is no longer available on Earwolf.com. I presume it's available on the Earwolf section of Twitch or Premium, but I'm not sure. I know a lot of their archive has migrated to... to, uh, Stitcher Premium. However, I could not confirm that it was available there. However, I did have it on an old iPod, so I was still able to listen to it. Uh, but it's the uh, podcast Professor Blastoff, hosted by Tig Notaro, Kyle Dunnigan, and uh, David Huntsberger. And you probably know Tig Notaro because she's now on Star Trek Discovery. Uh, but she's yeah. she's a comedian and a cancer survivor. And uh, so this was her podcast where she and her two friends, Kyle and David, would talk about science-related stuff. They did a live episode at a podcast festival in San Francisco where it was all about Star Wars, and their guest was Pablo Hidalgo, who at the time worked for Lucasfilm and was kind of the Star Wars continuity guru. He might still work for them. I'm not sure. He probably does. I'm sure he consults on stuff because he's been a big part of Star Wars like up up through the 2000s. But it's, it's a really fun episode, and um, Kyle... Uh, Dunnigan goes on this whole rant where about the way you translate between basic and hutties and why hut has a different word for the number two, but their word for the number two is two ah. It's really great, like, because, like, Pablo is clearly prepared for all the continuity questions you would expect. He gets oh, completely yeah, yeah. blindsided, but he's very game. And I, I and I believe it even pointed out, well, you know, you could declare anything you want canon if you really wanted to. <laughs> and they try to get him to commit to making some weird things canon. <laughs> but it's a fun episode, especially if you, if you like Star Wars and like to have inane conversations about it, like I often do. If you listen to those three, I, I'll recommend you one, and I think I mentioned it on the show before. It's called Blast Points. Ooh, I haven't heard of this one. And they, <laughs> the stuff they cover is really in the weeds. In fact, they're they're part of what inspired me to suggest that we do this podcast on Star Wars droids. Cool. We did a few Star Wars droids uh, episodes. One episode is just a lot of it's like it's Star Wars or George Lucas adjacent. They did an episode that was a uh, about the making of Captain EO. Hmm. Um, they they did one where they rank or they talk they give commentary on all of Captain Panaka's lines from the Phantom Menace. <laughs> they they really get into some really obscure uh, top. They did a whole episode on the uh, Richard Pryor Cantina sketch. Oh man! So that they get that's it's called Blast Points and uh, it, it's really well done. I, I enjoy it. A second one I would suggest to you is called. X winning it and it's it's about some star Wars. they talk about star wars video games that sadly it's only once a month but they they really know their stuff and one of the hosts is is writing it up is coming out with a book pretty soon with boss fight books on star wars knights of the old republic cool and the other one is co-writing a book on the original postal video game um also for boss fight books oh that's really awesome yeah so I, i think you would enjoy 
both of those. There's no lack of Star Wars podcasts out there. I think <laughs> one of the more popular ones I used to listen to was um, the Force.net had one. I think they still do have one for a while, but then those guys spun off and did Rebel Force Radio. Oh, yeah. Um, and there, there's... I'll, I'll wrap up in a minute, but there is there is a Star Wars... There was an interview they did, Jimmy Mack did, on Rebel Force Radio, or it might have been, I don't recall which podcast it was, with Anthony Daniels. And um, Anthony Daniels has a, a little bit of an ego, and they massaged his ego perfectly with this question. Oh, wow. They said, they said in a way, you know, uh, people overlook what you did as being so difficult, because on the set, you know, you couldn't hear what R2-D2 said. So not only did you invent C-3PO, you also invented r 2 because you had to think of the, you know, wait for the pauses in the dialogue. And there's a big pause. And Anthony Dean is like, well, well, I think you're right. Oh, my. Like, it, it's, <laughs> it was just a wonderful interview moment on that show. I can, in my head, I'm imagining the smile spreading over his face. Yes. As, um, as one of my coworkers used to tell me, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> so... Uh, what are we going to talk about next week? I think we should do like a gap episode because we're between story arcs. Well, I know, and, and I realize I've been playing this harp for a while, but I really want to do the Star Wars parody episode of Tiny Toons, a quack in the quarks. Um, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Just send me the link, and I'll um, I'll watch it. it. Is it a two part or just a one part? Uh, I believe it's I believe it's just a one part episode. But it was it was okay. the second episode of the Steven Spielberg produced Tiny Toon Adventures. And it's just a real in-the-weeds uh, Star Wars parody. And in fact, on the uh, one of the Super Nintendo Tiny Toons games, uh, it had a Star Wars-themed level where the boss fight was Plucky Duck in the Darth Vader outfit. <laughs> nice. But that, that's surprising, Tiny Toons did a Star Wars parody so early on in its run. Yeah, you'd think they'd build that, but they did that. Well, that, that's a very... We could talk about this on that episode, but that's a very... That's a show that didn't know what it was going to be one episode to the next. <laughs> but without Tiny Toons, we would not have had Animaniacs or Freakazoid oh, or... Very, very and, true. You know, it was kind of the stepping stones to that. But, all right. So, um, you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at Internet Mayor. You can also listen to this show on uh, the Batman Podcast Network, uh... Also, look for us. Uh, we're the sequel ta- cast two and friends is another thing you can search for to find this and our uh, big brother show, the sequel cast two. And of course, our theme music is performed by the Cybertronic Spree. Check them out. Yep. So until next time, uh, this is Matt and this is Thrasher. Same. Oh, our relationship would never work out. I guess we should yeah, pointed out that he was doing a mating call for the Jugadoo, and the Jugadoo uh, is really into uh, C-3PO. Poor C-3PO. The Jugadoo just looks like a giant red tapir. Did you notice that? Yeah, it wasn't the most creative design. Yeah, it should, should have been a bit more alien. But that's another, that's a topic for when we do our Star Wars Ecology podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody.